Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We will sit in that text together today. So 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to about 25, 26 or so. Like Randy said, we're in a series right now called Aftermath, and we're surveying the scene of the damage that was done in 2020 and asking how we might live in 2021 to build our lives in the rubble, in the aftermath of what has happened. We've taken a a lot of different looks at different aspects of life. We've talked about developing a passion for the lost this year. We've talked about a vision for unity and life-giving community this year. We've talked about humility. Pastor Buzz last week led us through a teaching on how we can adopt a humble spirit and follow in the example of Jesus as we grow out of this COVID season. And like Randy said earlier today, we, uh, today we turn our eyes to a concept that's a little bit different than the other three again. We're talking about how to grow in our diversity in the year to come. I think in the aftermath of 2020, one of the biggest things that we miss as God's people is the ability to gather together as a community week after week in worship. I talked to a couple this weekend who were lamenting the fact they had not been in church since March of last year, and there's something about us that feels the weight of that. We love to experience God as he inhabits the praises of his people in our worship services. We love to experience the grace of God as we receive communion or witness baptism together. And yet I think the biggest thing that we've lost in this last year that maybe we haven't realized yet is the beautiful diversity that is the body of Christ. And one of the things that happens to us at Three Crosses when we gather is every week we come together and get to look around this room or look around our lobby or look around our different community groups and see a picture, like Randy mentioned, of the beautiful tapestry of God's kingdom as we look around this place. You know, this word diversity we use a lot. Normally we think of racial diversity or ethnic diversity, but in the scriptures, when a vision comes for the the diverse kingdom of God in a local body, it's all types of diversity. I was thinking today of what my normal Sunday looks like before COVID coming up to this place, and I imagine seeing a, a diversity of spiritual gifts. I always park my car on Sundays and start coming up onto the property and I'm greeted by our parking team. And then I walk past our security team who's huddled together in prayer before they go out and keep us safe. I come in and I connect with our worship team. I say hi to our hospitality team. I visit our prayer room workers. I see our cafe four staff. There are so many different spiritual gifts on display in our body. It's a diverse body when it comes to the gifts of the spirit. I think about walking around our campus and seeing a diversity of generation and age and demographic. I see our seniors kind of going up the escalator on a Sunday morning. I see our kids going into the children's center, our students in the student ministry space. We see all different ages coming together to God's house to worship together. It's a diverse community in that way. I even think of ethnic diversity as I walk around our sanctuary and I see people from different language groups and nations of origin and different tribes and tongues and nations as the scriptures talk about, different skin tones, different backgrounds. I think of walking out of our sanctuary on a Sunday morning and encountering a group of African-American folks by the cafe and for a moment getting to feel feel part of a community personally that I'm not normally part of in the world outside the church. I think of walking to the other side of the cafe and seeing a Filipino community having a potluck around a big gathering table and thinking, wow, I'm, I'm in a community right now that I don't normally have access to. 
In the church of Jesus, we have beautiful access to the diversity of the bride of Christ, the people from all over the world that are gathered together to worship God as one body. And yet as I study the text of scripture, and I think a little bit about the approach that the Apostle Paul takes to various communities in the churches that he writes to, I realize that a church can have great diversity and still not have unity. Or in the same way that diversity is a word that can mean a lot of different things, so is unity, right? I, I'm not saying that there's disunity in our body, although I'm sure it exists in some places. But when I'm picturing a unified community, I'm picturing a community where there is harmony and intertwined uh, people at every level, a, a harmony of all folks together as one, as one tightly knit family. Now, I'll give you an example of this concept. I was meeting with a pastor a few weeks ago from another church in town. Great church, great community, great pastor. And, and yet in our conversation, he, he said to me, Danny, I don't think I could ever do what you do. I said, well, what's that? We do the same thing, right? He said, no, I mean, I don't think I could ever be a pastor of a giant church like Three Crosses because there's so much division. I said, well, wait, what do you mean division? I feel like we have a pretty unified church. He said, no, no, no I don't mean anything bad. I, he said, I just imagine in a church the size of yours, you've got to separate people, right? You probably have the kids over here, the students over here, the seniors over here, the men over here, the women over here, right? You've got to find so many ways to split people up. He said, in a church like mine that's really small or that's a different size, we, we're all together. We are one body living in unity because we have to. I realized, man, I think he's right. You know, we have a diverse church. We can look around and see all types of people. But at the same time, I wonder if we truly have a unified church. I think of small groups that I've been a part of over the past 21 years. I've been on staff here and just in my personal home or my personal ministry. I think of times that I led small groups of all high school students. I thought of times that I led small groups of folks going through premarital counseling. I thought about times that I led small groups with friends and most of my friends are from the same background or the same opinions, the same beliefs, right? The same politics. We all kind of gather around commonality in the church. It's human nature. There's even a church strategy tool called the homogeneous unit principle that says if you want to build a great church, find ways for people to gather with folks who are just like them because people love to find community in homogeneity with folks who are just like them. And yet this is not what the scriptures call us to be as a church. Now, the church of Corinth that we'll study today was a church that was diverse in all these different levels that we talk about at Three Crosses. Uh, there was a church, they had a church of ethnic diversity. Corinth was a very uh, metropolitan place where folks from all different uh, nations would come through with the trade routes, and so the church became a very diverse, diverse church in terms of national origin. We see in Corinthians that there are a diversity of spiritual gifts. There's a diversity of rich folks and poor folks, and it talks about slaves and free and Gentiles and Jews, all different types of people combining together to form one body in the church or churches at Corinth. And yet the problem that Paul writes to address in 1 Corinthians that we'll study in 1 Corinthians 12 was a problem of hierarchy. People who had different gifts within the body and different roles within the church started to seem more important than other folks. And these different groups of people started escalating around who was important and who was not. Who truly belonged and who didn't. Who was needed as part of the church community and who really wasn't needed but could be an outsider, just welcome to attend. 
And so as we study this text, the first thing that, that I see is verse, uh, verse four, where Paul starts by reminding them that there are different kind of gifts, but that the same spirit distributes them. Paul says there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And this sounds really reminiscent of Ephesians 4 that we talked about a few weeks back that just said, there is one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one, 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 one. And yet here, Paul flips the script a little bit and says, no, you're different, you're different, you're different, you're different, you're different. But in your diversity, you can find unity and live as one. So the question we're gonna ask as we approach the text of scripture today is how can we become a church where everyone belongs and everyone is needed? I'm gonna start by uh, picking up here in verse seven. And before we do that, I'll give you something to write down if you're a note taker out there. And that is this, if you are part of God's church, he is going to give you things that others need. That's just what God's gonna do. If you're a part of God's church, he's going to give you things that others need. You might be tempted to think, wait, I thought we were going to talk about diversity today. We are going to talk about diversity today. And yet when Paul approaches diversity, he starts by saying, each one of you has a responsibility to do your part in weaving this community together. Uh, Listen to what he says in verse 7 and following. Paul says, now to each one, to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given through the spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. And Paul finishes this thought by saying, all these are the work of one and the same spirit and he distributes to each of them each of them just as he determines. I want you to imagine for a minute what it would be like to be part of the church of Corinth, right? Not not like go back in time and you're some random person. You're you and you are going back in time and now you're a part of this community that the apostle Paul is talking to. Right, a community where folks have these very supernatural charismatic gifts. Folks in the community are proclaiming healing on people. Folks in the community are doing miracles. Folks in the, he- in the community are standing up and speaking in languages they've never studied. Other folks are standing up and saying, I can understand that language even though I've never studied it. Right? Folks are getting up and doing miraculous supernatural things and you're you. How would you feel <laughs> in a church like that? And chances are you'd be looking around and thinking, am I the only one who God has not gifted in this way? You know, some commentators say that the reason that the Apostle Paul used the gift of faith in this lineage of different gifts in the church of Corinth is to remind the people that even if you don't have a crazy charismatic gift that's so fantastic and beautiful, we all have been gifted with faith. So take heart, all of us belong. And yet in this, Paul's starting to draw out that temptation, which is that in a church where there are people with extreme and beautiful giftedness, there's a chance for the normal folks among them to feel like, I don't know what my place is here. 
the whole thing with healing and tongues and all these different kinds of things, a lot of times can be a smoke screen in a passage like this because we start thinking, wait, how come I don't see that at three crosses? You know, there's different churches that believe different things about God's spirit working in different ways, right? There are churches that believe that unless you've done some of these miraculous things, you're not a real Christian. No, we don't believe that. There are other churches that believe that if you think God still works that way, you're not a real Christian. We don't believe that. What we believe here at Three Crosses is that God works how he sees fit and it's mysterious and beautiful. Sometimes God's spirit shows up and does something fantastic and miraculous and we've seen it. Other times God shows up in ways that are more common and ordinary like through encouragement and service and gratitude and and teaching and these different things that are more part of the normal body. And yet we surrender to the spirit and say, God, we pray that you would use us the way that you see fit. And the church of Corinth had a lot of amazing spiritual gifts and it caused a hierarchical view of who was important and who wasn't. If you want to see a church that looks a little more like three crosses, you can turn back a few pages to the book of Romans chapter 12. You might notice that Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 are very similar. It's the same argument to two different churches in two different locations. In Romans 12, 6, Paul says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If your gift is giving, give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Same issue, or same type of issue, a hierarchy was formed of the more important gifts versus the least important gifts, yet in the Roman church, it's a very different uh, kind of portfolio of gifts that the Spirit is bringing into the community. You know, I was reading both of these passages and thinking, okay, if Corinth is like this and Rome is like this, what, what would God say to the church at Three Crosses? There are many different gifts that are experienced here, but, but who is it at our church that's we're tempted to put on a pedestal and think they're more important than me or I'm not needed because I don't have blank. And I was reminded of a lot of conversations I've had with, with folks in our church who say, you know what, Danny, I feel like I, I'm not a pastor. I'm not called to teach the Bible. I, I don't know what my role is at a church like this. And I realized that that pretty easily in a church like ours where we do a lot of teaching from the Bible, folks can believe that they don't have the gift of teaching, they don't belong here, they're not needed here. I've had people say to me, Danny, I'm not an evangelist. It doesn't come easily to me to share the gospel to someone who is lost. I don't know if I fit in with a church like yours. And I realize we put on a pedestal people who are great evangelists because God has wired them that way. Even last year, we were looking to hire a few different positions on our staff, on our ministry team, and we realized we had this common phrase we kept saying, which was a person with a microphone. We kept saying, that person's great, they've got great character, great qualifications for leadership, but could they grab a microphone and stand in front of a thousand people like Randy did this morning or like I'm doing today? Could they really do that? And we realized, do we put people who can have public speaking skills on a higher pedestal than they ought to be? You know, there's a chance that you're part of our church and you feel like, you know what, I don't have the background, the gifts, the personality, whatever it is that makes me welcome here, that makes me fit here, that makes me belong here. I don't feel like I'm needed in a church like this. And yet if that's you, uh, Paul says, to each one, the spirit has given a gift as Christ has apportioned it. You know, three things I see as I look, about this, look at this first concept here. Number one, when Paul's talking about you, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, not about you. 
right? This is not about your skills. This is not about your background. This is not about how amazing you are or your oratory skills, your evangelistic skills. This is about the way the Holy Spirit sees fit to bring gifts to each of us. Now, I read an article last week by a man named Ken Birding, who's a professor at Biola University down in Los Angeles, and he had a really nuanced view of spiritual gifts that I liked. He said, too often, we think of spiritual gifts as, they are, as like they're some sort of supernatural ability that God bestows on us, and so now we're like these superheroes who can teach or who can evangelize or do all these different things. He said, I, I think as I look at these biblical passages, a better view of spiritual gifts is that God gives portions of grace that he gives to us so that we might pass them on to others. He says, if God gives you a portion of grace, of, a, of encouragement, pass that encouragement on. If God gives you a burden to pray for someone, pass that blessing on. If God gives you a burden to give to someone, pass that blessing on. This is about the spirit wanting to weave a diverse community together by giving portions of grace to each of us that are meant to hand to other people. It's not about you and your skills and your background. It's about the Holy Spirit and his desire to work in our community, to weave us all together into one family. At the same time, though, it's not about you. It is also about you, right? Remember what he said in verse seven. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Each one. If you are part of God's church, he will give you something that he wants you to pass on to others. It is about you, and it's also about others. It's about God serving others through you, you serving other people. I heard a, a great story a couple weeks ago. I was reading a book by a man named R.T. Kendall. And if, if you're a church history, like Reformation studies person, R.T. Kendall was a, at Westminster Chapel in London. That's where Spurgeon preached. That's where Martin Lloyd-Jones preached. Right? A, a great history of reformed preachers who don't believe a lot of times in the supernatural, fantastic gifts of the Spirit like we talked about. And yet Kendall in this book is wrestling with the way that he saw God work supernaturally in his own life. He, he said, you know what, I, I had this experience where my wife got struck with this illness that was debilitating her for months and months and months. He said, and we tried everything. He said, we took her to the doctors and the doctors couldn't do anything. He said, we, we, we prayed for her, I prayed for her, she prayed for herself, nothing happened. We took her to the elders of our church in obedience to James chapter five and the elders prayed for her, anointed her with her oil. We trusted she would be healed, but she was not healed. Kendall says, eventually we got to the point that we thought, well, maybe this is just God's burden that she needs to carry for the rest of her life. And then one night after church, a person walked up to R.T. Kendall after he preached and said, hey, God has put a burden on my heart that I would pray for the healing of your wife. And Kendall said, at first, I wanted to say, well, thanks, but we've done that. We've tried that. We've done that in so many ways. But Kendall said, well, that's fine. You can pray for my wife. And so right there, he prayed for R.T. Kendall's wife. And the next morning, she woke up and she was completely healed forever. And Kendall's wrestling with what happened. Why didn't all these other people's prayers work? I think we see that concept in this text, that sometimes God gives a gift of grace to an individual that he wants them to specifically use to edify somebody else. Now, if you're part of this church, God is going to give you 
portions of his grace that he wants you to use to edify someone else. And there are those moments in life that your prayers will change someone, that your generosity will change someone, that your encouragement will change something, that the word of knowledge God gives you will encourage someone in that moment, that the wisdom you pass on will change their life, that the gospel message he hands to you will change their eternity. And so if we're gonna weave our church together, all types of people, each one of us, needs to have a faithful stewardship of whatever portion of grace God hands to each of us as individuals. That's the first thing I see in this passage. Uh, The second thing that I see in this passage in these next couple paragraphs is that every member of the church matters because we are the body of Christ. Every member of the church matters because we are the body of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part or of many. You probably heard this image before of the body of Christ, that Christ is the head and we are all the different parts, the hands and the feet, the mouthpiece of God, and And chances are, if you lived in in Paul's time in Corinth, you'd heard that illustration as well. Not about the church, but about a few other things. That was actually a really common metaphor. And what Paul does is he brings this common image to them as he inverts it and actually brings this metaphor in a pretty subversive way to the culture that we lived in, that he lived in. A couple of things, ways that he uses this analogy. First, Paul describes the church as God's presence in the universe. You can write that down if you want to. Paul describes the church as God's presence in the universe. In Paul's day, there was a group of philosophers called the Stoics. And the Stoics believed a similar analogy of the body, and they believed that God was the head of the body, and all of the universe was its parts. And so the land and the seas and the stars and the moon were all parts of God in some way, and he moved them as he saw fit. Paul says, no, 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 that's not how it works. Here's how God's body works. Christ is the head, and we are are God's presence in the universe. We are the mouthpiece of God himself. We are the hands of God. We are the feet of God. We are the heart of God. That means if God wants to bring his presence to someone, he's gonna use his feet, one of us, to bring his presence to someone. If God wants to bring a helping hand to someone, he's gonna use one of us, his helping hand, to bring help to someone. If God wants to share the gospel with someone, he's gonna use one of us, the mouthpiece of God on earth, to share the gospel with them. We are the presence of God in this place. This is why it's so important that each one of us do our part. The second analogy, or the way that Paul uses this analogy, is he uses this image to dismantle hierarchy among the Christians. The most common use of this body analogy in Paul's time was with the Roman Empire in general. The Roman Empire believed that every part of the Roman Empire was a different part of the Roman body, and there were some parts that were more important than others. There was actually a time in in Roman history uh, where someone came up and gave a speech explaining that the aristocracy, the rich people in Roman society, were the stomach, and the stomach needed to be fed. And so the less honorable parts, the workers of society, needed to go out and gather food to feed the rich because they said if the stomach dies, the whole body dies. So you, you working class people, you go and feed the rich people because their welfare is important to you because if the rich die, we all die. Paul says, no, no, (laughs) that's not how the body of Christ works. Each one of us is a part of the body, and yet each one of us 
is important and necessary and a beautiful contributor to this thing. He actually spends the next section of the text, I'm going to read the the whole thing here, kind of explaining how every part is important in the body of Christ. He says in verse 15, Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Paul says if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed all of the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. Then in verse 21, he says this. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. I know that's a mouthful. I know that's a lot of image. And I'm going to break it down into three components. Number one, Paul says, in the church of Jesus, there is no one who doesn't belong. There's no one who doesn't belong. There's a chance that you're out there and you listen to this message and you're thinking, you know, I'm one of those people who just doesn't belong at Three Crosses. I don't fit in there. This isn't my place. And one of the things that we did this, this last year, uh, in the summer, after, in the, after the aftermath of George Floyd and all of the racial unrest in our society, we said, you know what, let's start gathering people together and just check in to see, is there anyone in our community who feels like they're marginalized or an outsider or, or, or being overlooked in some way? And we had a great conversation about race and racial inequality within the church. But what we had in that conversation that I did not expect was tons of talk about folks within our community who feel like they don't belong here. I remember a number of people said, you know, I I feel like folks who have special needs probably feel like they don't belong at the church. And we do these, right now we're doing these simulcasts. And if you're hearing impaired, you're probably not watching the simulcast because there's no sign language interpretation. If we meet in our sanctuary and you have mobility impairment, it's hard for you to find a seat in this place. There's not a lot of seating for folks who have a hard time getting around. A lot of times we put people out in the lobby where they can have more leg room, but they feel like outsiders. They don't belong in the sanctuary with the rest of us. And people were lamenting over folks in their own lives who felt like they didn't belong because the needs in their body just made them feel like an outsider in a community like ours. And I thought, man, I've never thought about that. I had a number of people talk, talk about that, that single people in our church feel like they don't belong. I said, you know, everything about your programming kind of caters to the nuclear family, right? You've got kids ministry, young families ministry, families ministry, youth ministry, right? All these different demographics, even as folks get older, and now they're in the empty nester ministry, right? And it seems like there's no place for someone who doesn't fit that mold. People said, I've got a friend who's a single mom. She feels like I don't fit in your church because your church is for married people. I've told you before, we've had this conversation with folks at a, at a race or demographic level in terms of uh, financial background. I've had folks say, no, I don't belong at your church. I'm not rich like you guys. And I said, well, hold on, like, what, what do you mean? I don't think our church is a bunch of rich people. They said, well, from where I'm coming from, you guys are these rich folks up on the hill in Castor Valley. I just don't feel like I belong there. I come from another country. I don't feel like I belong there. And so we've had to do work to help folks see, no, 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 this is a place where everyone belongs. 
I think the saddest thing that I heard as I had those conversations was two narratives. I heard a lot of people talking about how they loved our church because it was their family, and I heard another group of people talk about how they love our church because we welcome them here. I thought, I don't wanna be a church where some of us are family and some of us are welcomed guests. I wanna be a church where everyone belongs, where everyone's part of the family. Paul says, if you're part of the church of Jesus, you belong. We wanna be a church where everybody belongs. Now, the second thing we see in that passage that I read is that in the church of Jesus, there is no one who isn't needed. Now, this is not him saying the same thing in different words. This is actually him turning it upside down a, a little bit He says in verse 18, in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Every part of the body is needed here. And yet who he's addressing in the second half of these paragraphs are people who might be tempted to believe that there are folks who aren't needed in the church. Right, here's an illustration for you just to think about. Imagine that you're cut to the heart based on this, and you're thinking, man, I, I want to be a church where everyone belongs. And, and so you're kind of racking your brain for folks maybe in your neighborhood or in our church community who aren't normally part of your community, right? And, and maybe your mind goes to someone who, who's part of the unsheltered community, the, the cross-streets ministry folks who are having breakfast on Sundays who would come in, and they're homeless, and they're coming up the street, and you're thinking, man, I, I need to figure out a way to reach out to folks who are very unlike me in the sense that, that they don't have a home to live in. And so you invite them to your home for dinner. You invite them into your small group. You invite them to join the fabric of your life because your desire is that they would feel like they belong with you. Imagine that you did that. At any point in that illustration I gave, can you imagine yourself realizing that it's not just that they need to belong in your home, but that you actually need them there? Paul says that everyone's needed in the church, which means that that homeless folks, those homeless folks we're talking about that need to be in your home, you need them in your home as much as they need to feel like they belong in your home. Paul imagines a church for us, not just where everyone feels like they belong, but where every individual in the church realizes they need every other individual. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you need people in your life who are very different from you? That you need people in your small group who have a very different background from you? That you need folks of different races in your home, of different economic backgrounds in your home, of different political backgrounds in your home, of different upbringings in your home, of different social classes in your home, in your small group, in your ministry, in your church, in your inner circle? Do you really believe that you need everybody? And that's what we see in this passage, a church where everyone belongs and everyone is needed. And so Paul tells us that we need to devote extra care to folks that we are tempted to believe we do not need. The best way that I can summarize Paul's analogy here in this passage is kind of an everyday life thing, right? imagine what you think is the most important part of your body, right? We probably all say it's our head. If our head gets chopped off, we're done, right? But if you lose your foot, you can still survive. Paul says, but then why is it that you'll walk down the street not wearing a helmet on a daily basis, but you always wear shoes? Why are you caring for a part that you need less? He says, in the church, it's the same way. We need to care more for parts we're tempted to believe we need less, right? He takes it to a little more of a personal, private example. He says, think about your most private parts on your human body, 
Why is it that you treat them like they're the most important parts of your body? That's the one part you would never show other people. That's the one part that's always covered up. That's the one part you're scared for people to see. It's not because they're the most important parts, but almost it feels like to you they're the least honorable parts and that you treat them with special care. You know, this idea, as I wrestled with it, reminded me a lot of Jesus who did this perfectly, right? Jesus gave specific honor and dignity to the parts of the church that we tend to undervalue so that we would realize that we're all equal. Now think of Matthew chapter five, when Jesus stood up and preached the most important sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. What did he say in the sermon? He said, if you're poor, you're blessed. If you're meek, you will inherit the earth. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. He took the people who are the outcasts of society, who are seen as the least needed in society, and he overlooked the wealthy, the aristocracy, the well-to-do, and he looked right at them and said, you are all important in my family. You are the blessed ones. Jesus actually turns the corner in the Luke version and says, cursed are you who are doing okay, right? That's a different sermon. But Jesus gave special dignity to those who we tend to undervalue to show us that we are all needed in his body. You know, every week we've been given a different challenge for what to do with this context, right? God gives us this vision for a church where everyone's using their gift to weave together the fabric of society and serve everyone where everyone belongs and everyone is needed. And so I wrote a question for you that I would love for you to write down. Just so you can spend some time this week and ask God, God, give me a vision in my personal life to grow in this area. Help me to create a community where everyone belongs and everyone is needed. And here's the question that I wrote down. I wrote down some questions, some additional questions for you as well. The big overarching question is this. What is your vision for creating a diverse community in 2021? What is your personal vision for creating a a diverse community in 2021? Right, if this whole thing starts with you, weaving the fabric of society back together, weaving the church back together, how will you lean into these truths in the year to come. In verses 25 and 26, Paul gives us some specific commands. Verse 25, he says, there should be no division in the body. So the question I wrote for you is this, does your life and network reflect the unity and diversity of our church? Right, look at your last 10 missed calls on your phone. Who have you been talking to? Are there common threads that they all look the same, believe the same, have the same amount of money? Or is it a diverse group of people? Look at the last 10 people you hung out with. Maybe that'll take you a year of calendar searching, right? But look at the last 10 people who came into your home. Do they represent every tongue, tribe, and nation? Does it reflect the diversity of our church body? Or is it people from within our church who look just like you, who come from places just like you? Is there diversity in your network? Verse 25, he says, the parts should have equal concern for one another. Question I wrote down is, do you have diverse concerns? A lot of times we hang out with people who are just like us, and so we're always worried about the same things. But I'm imagining if we had a community that was diverse at every level, we would have friends who are struggling through diverse issues. We'd have people in our community that were praying as they go through their divorce. We'd have people we're praying through as they're struggling through end-of-life issues, folks who are caring for their elderly relatives, folks who are lonely, folks who are single, folks who are married, folks who are struggling with poverty, domestic violence, all different types of issues in our community. Chances are, if you have a homogenous community, everyone in your network is dealing with the same things at the same time. Paul says, you should have diverse concerns, equal concerns for each other. Finally, in verse 26, Paul tells us that in this vision of community, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. 
If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. The question I wrote down is, are you suffering and rejoicing with diverse people and diverse issues? Are you celebrating birthdays, anniversaries, retirement parties, quinceaneras, and everything in the middle, right? Is your celebration rhythm representative of the diverse community of our church? Is your lament rhythm, are you lamenting with people who are passing away in our church, with folks whose grandparents are passing away, with folks who are mourning the loss of their children moving out or the loss of their marriage dissolving? Are you rejoicing and lamenting with diverse types of people with diverse types of issues? We, we all love our church. We love the diversity that God has given us and we believe it's a gift from him. We believe it's a sign of health that our church represents in a large part the community outside our doors. But man, I would love to get to a place this year, even as a whole church, that when we walk through our lobby or we walk through the doors of this place or we walk around our campus, we don't see pockets of like-minded people all over the place, but we see everyone cross-multiplying and connecting and talking and networking, representative of the unity that can exist when a diverse people do their part to listen to the Lord and step out in faith and connect and serve one another. Now, I wanna pray to us, pray for us to that end, and then we're gonna talk a little bit more about diversity even in worship. So let me pray for us, and then we'll talk some more. Father, we, we pray for our church. We thank you for the gift of diversity. Like Randy shared earlier, we, we love just seeing the nations on display, the gifts of the spirit on display, different people, different types of people, different backgrounds on display, the manifold glory of God with all types of human beings as part of one local church community. And God, we pray that that for us as a body and for each of us as individuals, that you would lead us to do our part, to listen to your spirit and serve everyone and to listen to what your spirit is giving us vision for, to develop diversity in our own lives, in our own social networks, in our own community. I pray for anyone who feels like an outsider because they don't know you, and they are in fact an outsider of your body because they're not adopted into the family, that even today, they would turn their eyes to you, and that as they think of Jesus, who died for their sins, who rose to new life, that he would give them new life and graft them into his body, onto this vine that is growing, adopt them into his family as our brother or sister, and they would become one of us, one of the global members of the body of Christ throughout history. I pray that you would create in us a church that represents your kingdom in every way, and that you'd use each of us to that end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Tyler. I'm the worship resident here at Three Crosses, and I'm excited to just be sharing one more quick word with you guys before we uh, step back into a moment, another moment of musical worship. I'm just so thankful for Danny just blessing us with this amazing word this morning, talking about diversity and that idea that uh, not only are we called to be diverse church family and diverse as the global church, but uh, also be unified in that diversity. I think that's been God's intention for his church, for his body, since the very beginning. We see it all throughout scripture, starting with Abraham's calling in Genesis and moving you know, through Romans 11, where Paul explicitly talks about how us as Gentiles are grafted into the family of Christ, and ultimately we get to Revelation at the end of the Bible, and we see God's ultimate plan and ultimate vision uh, and what that will look like when it comes to fruition. I want to read a quick um, snippet of that. This is Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Uh, John, the writer of Revelation, says this. After I looked, 
After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You know, we see in Revelation that God's final goal is accomplished. Heaven and earth become one, and we see this concept of shalom finally come into completion. Shalom is an ancient Hebrew word that is most closely translated to peace, but it's so much more than just a passive peace or, you know, just putting up with each other or just a lack of aggression or something like that. It's a true complete, absolute peace where everything is in its perfect place. Everyone is perfectly unified in Christ as one body. Heaven and earth are totally one. Everything is absolutely perfect. That is the shalom that we long for and that Jesus promised is to bring when he comes back. You know, we live in this place where we're in an in-between. Jesus has already come. He's died for our sins. He's resurrected, which is incredible, and we have life in him through that, but we're still waiting for him to come back a second time and truly bring the shalom into fullness, into fruition. And us as Christians, as being a part of the body of Christ, we are called to usher that in, in a way. We have a part of that. Uh, as Jesus tells us in uh, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, he says, we're supposed to pray, Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And myself being a musician, one of the ways that I love to see that and that I think we can truly glimpse that is through music. And I love diverse music and love the diversity that, uh, yeah, music all around the world. And we can incorporate that into our worship. I think we're truly called to do that. And so we're doing that today. We have all kinds of songs. Um, you know, earlier we did All Creatures, which is, you know, an older song. And then we did So In Love, which is newer and just very different stylistically. And I think that ultimately, we, you know, we can have all kinds of different styles. We can have songs from different eras. And all of this is absolutely glorifying to God, and that's how he intended it. You know, he wants us to worship in a diverse yet unified way. And so we're going to continue with that in just a minute. We have another amazing set. We have an amazing band. Um, and so we're going to continue with that. And the first song we're going to have is I'll Give Thanks. And it's a song about giving thanks to God in uncomfortable or situations or when, you know, we're just not sure or something's uncertain. But I also want us to be intentional about thanking God for the diversity that he's surrounded us with. I think that's something I never even thought to pray until I started to prepare for this and then I was convicted of like, man, I should be praying, God, thank you so much for the diversity that I'm surrounded by because that is an absolutely beautiful thing. After that, we're going into um, another song. Time has withstood the test of time so the doxology. I grew up singing this all the time with my family as like a prayer before meals, stuff like that. I love it. It's gorgeous. If you've been around the church for a while, I'm sure you've heard it. Um, love that. And then after that, we're going to be going into a newer song called The Blessing. And that's ultimately what God has for us. As his body, as unified yet diverse body, he proclaims this blessing over all of his children, every, over every part of his body. So let's be mindful as we sing that song that he is not only blessing us, but blessing everybody, our, the whole body of Christ. He's blessing the whole body of Christ, not just us. He's blessing the parts of the body that look different, the different parts of the body, and we're all equal. And like, yeah, he wants to bless us all. And so as we step into that, um, let me leave us with one more uh, teaching from Paul. This is from Ephesians chapter five, uh, verses 18 through 21. Paul 
commands us this, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, uh, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So as we have a diverse set of music, as diverse worship service, let us submit to each other and ultimately worship God all together the way that he intended us. Let's do it.